Hey guys, welcome back to the Rough Draft Podcast. My name's Kaylin and I'm here with Elliot. And today we will be talking a bit on sexual assault awareness since it is the month of April. So we're just actually going to read through some statistics, uh, sharing with you guys some numbers having to do with sexual assault. Um, so first, um, some overall statistics. One in five women experience completed or attempted rape in their lifetime. And nearly a quarter, 24.8% of men in the U.S. experience some form of contact of sexual violence in their lifetime. Nationwide, 81% of women and 43% of men reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment and or assault in their lifetime. One in three female victims of completed or attempted rape experienced it for the first time between ages 11 and 17. It is estimated that 734,630 people were raped, including threatened, attempted, or completed rape in the U.S. in 2018. 40% of rapes and sexual assaults were reported to police in 2017, but only about 25% were reported to the police in 2018. The prevalence of false reporting for sexual assault crimes is low, between 2% and 10%. Almost one in four graduate women experience sexual assault or misconduct at 33 of the nation's major universities, and about half, 51.1% of female victims of rape reported being raped by an intimate partner and 40.8% by an acquaintance. We're going to talk about some more specific statistics of different marginalized communities, so we're going to start with um, people of color and for every black woman who reports rape, at least 15 black women do not report. One in four black girls will be sexually abused before the age of 18. One in five black women are survivors of rape. 35% of black women experience some form of contact sexual violence during their lifetime. 42-60% of black women report being subjected to coercive sexual contact by age 18. 17% of black women experience sexual violence other than rape by an intimate partner during their lifetime. More than 20% of black women are raped during their lifetimes, a higher share than among women overall. Black women were two and a half times more likely to be murdered than men, than by men than their white counterparts, and more than nine in 10 black female victims knew their killers. Black women also experienced significantly higher rates of psychological abuse, including humiliation, insults, name calling, and coercive control than do women overall. Although the data is limited, many women of color appear to be at a greater risk for rape. A nationally representative survey indicates that almost 18% of white women, 7% of Asian and Pacific Islander women will be raped in their lifetimes. Almost 19% of black women will be black women, 24% of mixed race women, and 34% of indigenous and Alaskan native women will be raped during their lifetimes. Additionally, undocumented immigrant women who are raped often cannot turn to the authorities because they fear deportation. Moreover, they often lack linguistically appropriate and culturally relevant victim services within their communities. Indigenous people are 2.5 times more likely to experience sexual assault crimes compared to all other races, and one in three Indigenous women reports having been raped during her lifetime. 34% of Native women are raped during their lifetimes. Um, According to a 2010 GAO study, the U.S. attorneys declined to prosecute 67% of sexual abuse, firearm violation, homicide, and other uh, violent crimes occurring in the lives of Native Indigenous women. Violence against Native women occurs across a continuum 
in the lives of Native women at one end is verbal abuse and at the other end is murder. Most Native women do not report such crimes because of the belief that nothing will be done. Indigenous women, girls, and girls plus are murdered at a 10 times higher rate than all other ethnicities. Murder is the third leading cause of death in Indigenous women. Um, more than four out of five Indigenous women have experienced violence, um, which is 84.3%. Um, more than half of Indigenous women experience sexual violence, which is 56.1% specifically. More than half Indigenous women have been physically abused by their intimate partners, 55.5%. Less than half of Indigenous women have been stalked in their lifetime, which is 48.8%. Indigenous women are 1.5 times higher, more likely than Anglo-American, which means of British descent or from Britain, women to experience violence. Indigenous women are two times more likely to be raped than Anglo-American white women. The murder rate of indigenous women is three times higher than Anglo-American women. These rates also include indigenous individuals that identify as two-spirit, which is an identity within the LGBT community that is specifically a term that only indigenous people can use, um, which is a term that they use to express feeling both masculine and feminine within their sexuality, gender, and or spiritual identity. Um, and most states are not investigating this epidemic towards indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit individuals and their murder and abuse is being ignored. So next up, some statistics on the queer community and the LGBTQ. Members of the LGBTQ community experience sexual assault at either the same or higher rates than people who are straight. Studies suggest that around half of transgender and or bisexual individuals will likely experience some form of sexual assault in their lives. The LGBTQ community members face higher rates of poverty, stigma, and marginalization that puts them at a greater risk for being sexually assaulted, especially because they are often victims of hate-motivated violence that more often than not will happen in the form of sexual assault. 44% of lesbians and 61% of bisexual women experience rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner compared to 35% of straight women. 26% of gay men and 37% of bisexual men experience rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner, compared to 29% of straight men. 46% of bisexual women have been raped, compared to 17% of straight women and 13% of lesbians. 22% of bisexual women have been raped by an intimate partner, compared to 9% of straight women. 40% of gay men and 47% of bisexual men have experienced sexual violence other than rape, compared to 21% of straight men. The 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey found that 47% of transgender people are sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. Among people of color, indigenous 65%, multiracial 59%, Middle Eastern 58%, and black 53% respondents of the 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey were most likely to have been sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Nearly half, 48% of bisexual women who are rape survivors experience their first rape between ages 11 and 17. Discrimination towards the LGBTQ community has caused members who have experienced sexual violence to be less likely to reach out to the police, hospitals, shelters, or rape crisis centers. 85% of victim advocates surveyed by the NCAVP reported having worked with an LGBTQ survivor who was denied service because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. The 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey found that one in five, 20% of respondents 
who were incarcerated in jail, prison, or juvenile detention in the past year were sexually assaulted by facility staff during their time. Additionally, 17% of respondents who stayed at one or more homeless shelters in the past year were sexually assaulted at the shelter because they were transgender. Um, We are now going to talk about the disabled community. 83% of women with disabilities will be sexually assaulted in their lives. Just 3% of sexual abuses involving people with developmental disabilities are ever reported. 50% of girls who are deaf have been sexually abused compared to 25% of girls who are hearing. 54% of boys who are deaf have been sexually abused in comparison to 10% of boys who are hearing. Women with a disability are far more likely to have a history of undesired sex with an intimate partner, uh, 19.7% versus 8.2%. Um, Approximately 80% of women and 30% of men with developmental disabilities have been sexually assaulted. Half of these women have been assaulted more than 10 times. Nearly 1 in 10 respondents of surveys were physically attacked in in the past year for being transgender. Nearly half of respondents were sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. 1 in 10 were sexually assaulted in the past year. In communities of color, those numbers were higher. Black respondents were sexually assaulted in their lifetime and 13% of sexually assaulted in the past year. 72% of respondents who have done sex work, 65% of respondents who have experienced homelessness, and 61% of respondents with disabilities reported being sexually assaulted in their lifetime. More than half experienced some form of intimate partner violence, including acts involving coercive control and physical harm. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics 2009 through 2014 National Victimization Survey, people with disabilities are more than three times more likely than non-disabled people to experience serious violent crimes such as rape and sexual assault. In addition, having multiple disabilities can increase a person's risk of rape and sexual assault, and children with mental health and or intellectual disabilities are more than five times likely than their non-disabled peers to experience sexual abuse. So, unfortunately, children also experience a lot of these similar issues. So, next up, we have some statistics regarding children. Nine minutes, Child Protective Services substantiates or finds evidence for a claim of sexual abuse. Of all victims under 18, two out of three of them will be between the ages of 12 and 17. One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. Females ages 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. Child victims are about four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse, about four times more likely to experience PTSD as adults, about three times more likely to experience a major depressive episode as adults. Cases reported to the CPS in 2013, 47,000 men and 5,000 women were the alleged perpetrators. In 88% of the sexual abuse claims that CPS substantiates or finds supporting evidence of, the perpetrator is male. In 9% of cases, they are female, and 3% they are unknown. 93% of cases reported the perpetrator is someone that the child knows. Of that, 59% are from acquaintances, and 34% are family members, with the last being 7% strangers. Do you want me to... Are we going to include... So, okay, so Sarah that I spoke with says like the hotline for the ncbs like on her interview and stuff okay i feel like so we'll just say that we can uh we'll include more uh 
Do we want to include the National Sexual Assault Hotline in the pod? Like, say it in here, and then we'll say we have more resources in the footnotes. You do that? Yeah, you can do that. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, okay. Um, If you or anyone that you know has experienced sexual assault or any sort of sexual abuse or violence, uh, there will be a list of resources included in the footnotes attached to the podcast. Along with, we have the National National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is 1-800-656-HOPE, or 4673. Thanks for listening to the Rough Draft Podcast. Um, so then I'm going to hit record and make sure, okay, I guess it is recording now. Um, I got the little notification at the top. And then if you're good to go, we can get right into it. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So hi, guys. I'm now speaking with, oh, oh my gosh. All right. Hold up. I read that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now speaking with us is the community outreach advocate of YWCA York, Sarah Walters. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. I just want to ask you a couple questions um, regarding Sexual Assault Awareness Month and some different ways to um, speak on that. Um, my first would be for you is what services does the YWCA of York offer? Yeah, so specifically for victims and survivors of sexual assault, we offer a lot of different things. Before I start listing them off, I, I always like to make sure that people know that every single service that we offer is free and confidential. So no one will ever be asked for any kind of money or payment. And it's completely confidential anytime anybody seeks out any of our services. Um, and also folks can kind of take advantage of them in an a la carte kind of way. You don't have to be in shelter in order to get case management or vice versa. So you can take what you need and leave what you don't. Um, so when it comes to, um, we serve victims and survivors of sexual and domestic violence, um, but specifically for folks who may be sexual assault survivors. Um, things like our counseling and support group services could be especially helpful. Um, we have master's level clinicians who are trained in trauma-informed care um, and trauma recovery who know very, very well um, the healing process of kind of recovering from sexual assault. Um, they're wonderful. Um, that also people tend to worry that, okay, well, what if something happened to me a really long time ago? Can I still come in for counseling? Yes, absolutely. There's no time limit on our services. So if something happened to you a very long time ago and you really wanna talk about it now, you can still come in. Um, We offer legal advocacy. So basically we have folks who are stationed at the courthouse in the PFA office who can help people file for things like protection from abuse orders. Um, There is a specific type of PFA in Pennsylvania called a sexual violence protection order. Um, So if somebody is a victim of sexual assault that qualifies for that, we can help them file for that as well. We also have an attorney on staff who can help folks if they need anything in terms of representation for custody or divorce, so civil matters. Um, We offer medical advocacy. So if somebody goes into York Hospital or UPMC um, and they are there after being victimized um, in domestic or sexual violence, or if they go into the hospital for something else and they happen to disclose um, that they're a victim, one of our advocates is called and we are sent out to the hospital to be there for that person. And that can sort of look a lot of different ways, kind of depending on the situation and what that person needs. But, you know, realistically, we're just there to support them in whatever way they need the most in that moment, whether it's 
options counseling, making sure they understand their rights um, and what they're allowed, what they're able to do and, and what they can do however they wanna proceed from that moment. Um, or just if they need somebody to walk them through the process of maybe getting a forensic exam after being sexually assaulted. We're, we're trained in that and we're happy to be there for them for that as well. Um, in terms of students, we offer campus advocacy. So at York College specifically, we have confidential advocates who are in the student union every Wednesday from 11 to one. We are there for a lot of different reasons. We are not there if you, you know, you don't have to just be in crisis to come and talk to us. If you just have a question, um, if you have a concern, if something is happening to someone in your life and you wanna know how to support them, um, if you need help understanding the Title IX process, if you need someone to support you through the Title IX process, we are there for that as well. And I think the distinction of like what we do at York College from say a counselor or um, even like a nurse or anything like that is our reporting requirements. So we are absolutely confidential. The only thing that we are mandated to report is child abuse. So anyone under 18 who might be being harmed. Um, so anything else, we cannot even be subpoenaed to court to share that information. So we are like an absolutely confidential resource on campus. And if somebody needs to chat with us about anything like that, we're happy to do that either during that time or if somebody needs to set a different time, we can come on campus for that too. Awesome. That's so good to hear. Um, just a follow-up question in regards to that. So if someone wanted to utilize the resources of the YWCA, what do you think is the best way to get in contact or get started with that? You know, is it a, like a walk-in thing, a phone call, an email? What do you think is best to contact. Yeah, absolutely. And the best way to get in, in touch with any of uh, these services to get uh, these services at all is our hotline. So essentially, our hotline is housed at our shelter, which is a confidential location. We also offer shelter services, um, emergency and transitional. Um, so if that is ever something someone needs, we have that as well. And basically within our shelter, we have our, our hotline that is staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week by trained advocates, just like myself. So whether you have a question, whether you want to get in for counseling, uh, whether you have a question about legal advocacy, you can call that same hotline number and let them know what you're looking for and they can connect you to that resource. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, my next question is, I want to get a better idea on like bystander awareness, how to help if you know someone that has been affected by this or you see something happening and overall out in the or inside onto that. Yeah, I mean, if you there's I mean, obviously, there's different forms that this can take, right? So if you're actively seeing something unfolding, so say that you're out and about, you're at a bar, you're at a party, you see someone who's intoxicated, who may be being coaxed into doing something they don't really want to do, or they're being taken away, or they're, you know, you can, you can sense that step in if you feel safe to um, distract from whatever's happening. So we often uh, refer to the five D's of bystander intervention and distract is one of them. Distract is just whatever's taking place, do something to draw attention away from it. Um, so if you see somebody in a compromising situation, maybe they're being harassed, maybe they are um, uncomfortable, you can kind of tell, you can use those strategies um, in that moment, uh, even if it's if it's distracting from the situation, if it is getting help from someone else. So maybe you don't feel fully empowered to do it on your own. You can actually ask someone else or get strength in numbers to kind of help with the situation. You don't always have to directly intervene though. You can also wait until, um, say that you see something happening online. This is something, an example that I give a lot. So if you see like maybe some harassing comments online, um, maybe you can hit report on that comment and then you can also follow up with that person later and send them a message and be like, hey, I saw that stuff. 
Um, I took screenshots of it in case you want them, uh, but I just wanna make sure that you're okay. So like that delay, but if, if you, you hear about something that happened a week ago, following up, checking in, I think one of the strongest things that you can do for someone, whether you heard about something that happened or you know that it happened or they asked you, they said something to you about it, is check in on them. Make sure that you validate that you believe them um, and that you're there for them. Kind of open the door to be a resource for help without kind of forcing them into disclosing or telling their story um, or saying what happened or even confirming that it did happen. So we want we don't wanna force anybody into taking steps that they don't wanna take. Victims and survivors of sexual and domestic violence have had their choice taken from them repeatedly. So we wanna make sure that we're always giving it back uh, any chance that we can. We wanna make sure that they stay in control. Um, making sure that they see you as a resource, but then maybe offering like, hey, like I don't really have all the answers for this, but I know who I can put you in touch with and just kind of giving them information for resources like the YW or anything else, something on campus, the Title IX office, the counseling center, um, if, if that is anything that, that feels comfortable to offer without pushing or forcing. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that this is something that's really important that a lot of people don't know about or how to handle it. Even as you were making points, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, that that's a really good point. I never would have thought of it that way. So I think that is an important thing that should be educated on and people should be made aware of. Um, and then my last question for you is, what are some ways to um, heal and or grow from dealing with sexual assault? So some coping ways or, you know, outreach. Absolutely. The first, the first suggestion I always give to folks if they feel open to it is to seek professional counseling. Um, those counselors, especially, you know, like the ones at the YW are trained in such a way that they're able to equip survivors with those coping mechanisms that are going to be healthy um, and help them find that healing. If that isn't something that they're comfortable with yet, that's okay too, but it is a great option to turn to. Um, one of the other really important things that I, that I try to reiterate anytime I'm working with a survivor is that I want them to understand as best as they can that assault is never a victim's fault. There is never anything that somebody can do to deserve being assaulted or harmed. And there's always a narrative um, kind of in our world that, well, what did they do? Uh, how did they bring this upon themselves? Nobody ever deserves to be harmed. Um, so just kind of reiterating, like, it's not your fault uh, ever. Um, but also understanding that if someone doesn't believe you or they don't understand the trauma that you're experiencing, that their disbelief and their misunderstanding doesn't invalidate your experience and your feelings. Um, so trying our best not to like tie ourselves up uh, in the perceptions of other people, which is incredibly hard because of the way people do view sexual assault and, and victims of sexual assault. Um, but then also kind of outside of that, say that counseling maybe isn't where you're at or you do have a counselor, having a support system of people in your life who do believe you, who wanna support you, who have heard your story or at least understand it to a point where they can be there for you in a healthy way. Um, that could be a counselor, that could be friends, that could be family, that could be um, people at the college that maybe are in, um, if you've gone through the Title IX process, just having people who are there for you, um, who understand what, you, what, you've, what you're experiencing and are not gonna invalidate your experience of it. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think a strong support group can really change 
you know, how you're able to deal with things. So that's a really good point. Um, I think that's pretty much all I have in mind right now. But um, thank you so much for speaking. Um, and yeah. I, really, I hope that this reaches the right audience. Yeah, and I would love to just um, let people know that uh, if they do need help, if they do have questions, whether they're in crisis, whether they just want to kind of bounce some thoughts off someone, whether they want to take advantages of our service or not, um, our hotline number is 717-846-5400. Um, or you can call us, uh, we have a toll-free number um, that is 800 262 8444. And those are on our website at ywcayork.org. So if anybody wants to, you know, check up on that or, or get those numbers again, those are there for you. And we are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Awesome. Thank you so much for speaking and sharing all of that with us. Yeah, of course.